Welcome to Liquid Church Audio. The message you're about to enjoy was originally delivered live at Liquid Church by Pastor Tim Lucas. LiquidChurch.com, living water for a thirsty world. Good times, great stuff. I can't think of a better way really to kick off a series called Rock God than with the music of U2. They are one of the legendary kind of icons of rock, still going strong today. In fact, they will be at Giant Stadium this month for a couple of shows. Who has tickets? So you raise your hand if you have tickets. I'll see you afterwards. I, uh, I want to be your best friend. Uh, so let me know if you, if you have that. Whether you are 18, you're 80 years old, you are probably familiar with their music. In the early 80s, they kind of broke through in the mainstream with, uh, with the Unforgettable Fire. This is my first U2 album. I don't know if you can see this. I still got the jewel case version of this thing. Uh, awesome with that. I remember Pride in the Name of Love, the classic Joshua Trees is like top 10 Desert Island albums. Got to have this one, With or Without You. Uh, I still haven't found what I'm looking for, which is very interesting because... When it first came out, Bono described it as a gospel song with a restless spirit. Uh, and of course, that's where the epic anthem, maybe their all-time greatest, where the streets have no name, comes from. At a recent leadership conference, um, Bono said this. He said, when we play streets, something goes off. It's like God has walked in the room. That's a fascinating sentence, like God walked in the room. It's not a very good lyric, but when I sing it, I'm changed, and so is the audience. And if you've been to a U2 show, you know they reserve it kind of for the encore. All the lighters come out, everyone kind of goes crazy, and then the edge, his guitar looks kind of peel like these church bells go off. I want to run, I want to hide, and 50,000 voices at Giant Stadium will be joining you know, Bono in unison, like the world's largest choir. It's an awesome moment, about as close to like public worship as you get outside a church service. My question is, what is it about this song in particular, this, this kind of anthem, that makes it feel like God has walked in the room? Uh, I think their most memorable performance kind of holds a clue. Um, this past week, you guys know we celebrated the 8th anniversary of 9-11, uh, a day in our nation's history which really changed America forever. Um, it was right at this time of year in New York City. Maybe you remember it. It was a crisp fall day, crystal blue sky. Uh, kids headed back to school like they are now. City people going to offices. My wife was working in Manhattan at the time. And it was a morning, uh, normal morning in September. Then all of a sudden, boom, in an instant, those, those two images, this is kind of plumes of orange billowing against that, that blue sky. And if you remember at that moment the wave of fear that just washed over our entire nation. I mean, those were tense days. I don't know if you can re remember the panic, the uncertainty, what would happen next. There was fear. And it was a chaotic, kind of traumatizing event in our nation's life. And for almost a year, people had a hard time even, even making sense of what had happened. But then one year later at the Super Bowl, it was the following fall, it was the first anniversary of 9-11, U2 just stole the show and set to music what I think everybody was feeling, and they breathed this cord of hope into a very difficult situation. I don't know if you remember this, but it was incredible, because what they had done in New Orleans is they set the stage with the names of all the people who had died, towering up to heaven, this, these unfurled, these gigantic vertical banners that literally stretched the expanse of the Super Bowl dome there, furling up to heaven the names of everyone from the NYPD to the World Trade Center Towers, the crew and passengers of United Flight 93, the names of the men and the women in the Pentagon, and those names just rising up to heaven like the towers themselves, and 70 million people watching this and singing along, where the streets have no name. And it was like this it was our first communal event as a nation, and people just went bananas, because it really came off as this hymn of defiant faith 
in the wake of fear and tremendous loss. And when the banners uh, came tumbling down, because at the end they kind of had this cool moment where the banners just collapsed, like the towers themselves and all the lights came on. I remember it gave me chills. And, and everybody there, there were people who were crying, and, and Bono kind of held out a, a symbol of a heart to say, you know what, we are with you. We are, we are one, and we feel your pain, and we feel your fear, and in the midst of it, we can have faith and come together. And it was just this, this, this like communal hymn. It was powerful in the wake of paralyzing fear. That, was, that in fact, was the headline I remember, uh, because after the show, people were just like, that was whatever happened with the Super Bowl. I just remember you, too. Uh, and it was neat because at the very end, Bono actually opened up his, his coat and he had within it uh, sewn the American flag just as a way of saying, you know what? In the midst of the most traumatizing event in our history together, we can have faith. And that, in fact, was the, here it is, that was the headline of the halftime performance the next day. It said, on an anniversary of fear, you 2 ignites fervent faith. It's a great headline. And I think it captures the magic of that song because it opens with, with a lyric that actually expresses fear. I want to run. I want to hide. But it crescendos with the stirring picture of kind of faith and unity. We're still building and burning down love. And when I go there, I go there with you. I go there with you and it's all I can do. But in the wake of fear, we can have faith and together we can actually survive. Even when life comes crashing down, there's hope beyond hardship. It's one of Rock's great anthems. But I want to use it to talk today about the tension that really exists between those two things, between fear and faith. And I want to invite you to take your Bible out and turn with me to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be looking at this together. It's on page 697. We'll be going through the Gospels uh, for most of our, our Rock God series. The name Rock God encounters with Christ, that really kind of explains what we're doing. We're using the lyrics of the most popular all-time rock anthems, kind of like Streets as a springboard to examine the nature of true belief and faith, especially in hard times. And if it's your first time in church, I want to welcome you. You've probably noticed things have changed a bit. Uh, we're thrilled you're here. Uh, maybe you're like, what are beach balls doing in church? We hope you won't feel any pressure. Even if you're a skeptic or checking things out, we're, we're a non-denominational Christian church. What that simply means is we're full of people who are at various stages of learning what it means to have faith in Jesus Christ. And what we're going to do over the next five weeks is we're going to use the filter of music to look at five encounters that Jesus has in the Bible with ordinary people like you and me and how that actually applies to our life. And today, we're going to look at this tension that exists between faith and fear and link it back to you 2s song. That's the rock part. And we're going to discover what Jesus said in the Bible. That's the God part. So rock God. Does this make sense to you? All right, so let's look at this passage in Mark 4. It's an encounter with Jesus. We're going to see a very real hope that happens when life hits us with a 9-11 or an unexpected crisis that rattles our faith. This is a simple story. And even if you haven't been to church in a while, you might be familiar with it. So let's read this together. Mark 4, I'll start at verse 35. It says, That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side of the lake. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. And there were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? And he got up, rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. And he said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And they were terrified. 
And they asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Quick little poll here. How many of you today, you'd consider yourself boat people? You're, you're boat people, like, you like go out sailing, that, that kind of thing. I did that a little bit. Of, I don't even want to call it boating this summer. We rented kayaks. Uh, but we rented kayaks, went out there, Jersey Shore kind of thing. Kind of fun, you know, gets a little choppy out there. This is interesting because Jesus and the disciples, they're actually, this isn't a lake. They're on the Sea of Galilee, which is really like a giant lake, but it's significant because it's 700 feet below sea level. And it is surrounded by towering cliffs. In fact, there's one mountain, it's 10,000 feet tall, and then this 700-foot dip. So there's this tremendous thing that happens. It's a phenomena in Galilee where the wind actually whips off of the lake and kind of the, the hot air meets the cold air, and it can come down and in a moment of notice turn a little lake into this raging sea because it gets trapped in the water's basin. And that's exactly what happens when these disciples get into the boat with Jesus. It says, a furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Now, sailors have a name for this kind of thing, and they call it, maybe you've heard of it, a rogue wave. Have you ever heard of that? Down at the Jersey Shore or wherever you are, most waves are normally two to three feet in height. Some of them can grow, oh, you know, four or six feet in height if there's like a hurricane or a tsunami. But sailors are scared of one thing, a thing, it's a phenomenon in nature called a rogue wave, and you can't predict it because it's not three feet, it's not six feet, it's not 12 feet, but a rogue wave goes between 24 and 30 feet in height and comes out of nowhere. It actually is an incredible thing. Rogue waves are what sailors fear most because they're totally unpredictable. They defy any weather reports, and they just hit randomly. All of us have some familiarity with the rogue wave, even if you're not a, a boater, because rogue waves in a lot of ways are just the things in life that seem to come out of nowhere and hit us broadside, like a 9-11, and just kind of shake our faith to the core. 9-11 was a rogue wave, totally unexpected. Crisp September morning, fall, and then boom, our whole nation plunged into uncertainty and fear. But on a personal level, we all get hit with rogue waves from time to time, don't we? I mean, your boss calls you in and actually says, I want you to pack your stuff. What? Your boyfriend who you hope to marry all of a sudden says, I think I need my space. Huh? Bugger. Your wife or your husband of XX years actually, actually says they're, they're leaving. Or your doctor gets back to you about the blood work and he says, actually, I think it is more serious than we thought. Can you come in? Ever get a phone call like that? Boom! Rogue wave. It strikes fear into the heart of even the most seasoned sailor. And that's exactly what's happening here. We know the squall in Mark 4 was bad because the disciples by trade were what? Do you remember? Fishermen, which means they were experienced sailors. So they've been on a boat hundreds of times, if not thousands, in weathered storms. But this one was different. It's sheer size. It's sudden rant. Suddenness just kind of caught them off guard. And this furious squall came up and it nearly swamped the boat. This past year, the Great Recession, boom, rogue wave. This hasn't happened in a hundred years. All of a sudden, people lost their investments, their savings going down the tubes. We've got to bail out, right? We literally call it that. That's where we get this from. People losing jobs, and all of a sudden, people swimming for life. Many still are. I want you to think for just a minute about a rogue wave that maybe has hit you in the past 12 months. Can you think of one? 
an unexpected situation in your life that caught you, boom, broadside and just totally rattled your world. If these connection cards are any, any indicator, that's happening all the time in our congregation. You know, each week we, we invite you to tell us on the back of the connection card what's going on in your life and then how we can pray for you. You can do that even as I'm talking, by the way, here. But, but there were three situations that I was reading about towards summer's end that came up in our church family that just stood out. Three folks in our, our church who were hit by rogue waves this summer. The first was a young man actually in his 20s and a couple of weeks ago, it's actually three, three or four weeks ago now, um, he actually began having heart palpitations. His heart was racing. It had happened some before, but his wife was a nurse, so she took his pulse. She said, something isn't right here. And so they took him to the hospital, and within literally 10 minutes of arriving, he went to cardiac arrest. His heart stopped. He's 24 years old. They went CPR, the resuscitation, the whole deal, and they did revive him. He is on the road of recovery. I saw him actually today. But cardiac arrest, they're still figuring out what, what exactly caused it. But one moment... Life is placid, and literally, boom, the whole world upside down, capsized the family. Maybe you or somebody you care about has been on the receiving end of a difficult diagnosis. Rogue wave number one. Rogue wave number two, another guy uh, in our congregation, he's been at the same job for 15 years, and on Friday he was called in, and he was handed his walking papers. Boom, that's it, sorry. Casualty of the recession. And some of you have been through that. You know the natural fears that go with that. How am I going to pay my bills? The mortgage, if you've got kids, whatever it is. I've talked with many of you, and you know exactly how that feels. Maybe your business is taking on water. You've always been in the black. Now you're in the red for the first time, or you lost your job, and now you're out of work, and suddenly you're thrust in these open seas during this turbulent time in our economy. Or maybe you have a job and wish you didn't. Because your rogue wave is that work has grown so toxic or hostile over the past year that you wish you actually didn't work there anymore. The third individual, actually, he just said, I got served. And I didn't know what that meant. I was like, oh, you got a bulletin? He goes, no, I got served. I got papers from my wife. She's divorcing me, and it's wrenching. A decade of marriage. Lots of waves up and down. And he, he says, I think this is the one that's finally going to go under. And again, many of you relate to that. What's your rogue wave? I want you to, as, you, as we talk about this tonight, to, to write that down your connection card. First, so we can pray for you. And second, you need to know you're not alone. I mean, if you are struggling, you can just be honest about this because what is the natural reaction in life when you are hit by a rogue wave? Look at verse 38. Look at the text. What do the disciples say? Teacher what? Don't you care if we drown? You can almost hear the panic in their voices. Rogue waves have that effect. They strike fear in our heart because we think this, this could be it. This is the thing that I finally takes me under. You ever have a situation in your life with that effect? You can't sleep at night. You lay awake constantly thinking about it because the fear of what could happen next becomes all-consuming. The truth is, rogue waves and our reaction to them really teach us three realities. That's what Jesus is getting at. And if you're taking notes, the first is this. When we are hit with a rogue wave, we often assume God doesn't care. All of our doubts come kind of flooding to the surface. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? If you get hit broadside and there's a scary situation you're facing, your natural reaction, even if you have strong faith, is kind of lob accusations at God. Doesn't he care? I mean, if he could do something to change this, he's all powerful, why doesn't he? I mean, if God is really good, he sees a bad thing happening, he's got the power to change it, and he doesn't. Why trust a God like that? Does he care? Maybe that's some of your objection. Even if we haven't verbally expressed it, my guess is some of us in this room are even thinking it. Because you could complete your own sentence. God, don't you care if 
my relationship falls apart? God, don't you care if I don't find a job? God, don't you care if we lose our house? God, don't you care if our kids go off the deep end? God, don't you care that we can't have kids? I, I, God, don't you care that I feel alone out in an open sea by myself? The truth is a lot of us intellectually know God cares, but we are perplexed by his reaction to the crisis. I mean, where is Jesus in the middle of all this, by the way? Look at verse 38. This is incredible. Jesus was in the stern. What's the phrase? Sleeping on a cushion. This is not the most reassuring verse in all of Scripture. It is actually quite disturbing. I mean, if you're not a believer, maybe this is why. Because when a rogue wave hits, a 9-11, a recession, needless suffering, God doesn't do anything. We assume either he doesn't care or worse, I think he might be asleep at the switch. When 9-11 hit exactly eight years ago, the president of the American Atheist Association, he is the, it's the country's oldest organization for non-believers, he held a press conference in which he said this to reporters. He said, if September 11th wasn't a wake-up call to a religious nation, I don't know what is. That said to me, there is no God. Where was he? On a coffee break? Do you hear it? Is God asleep? Don't you care if we drown? If there is a God, where is he in this? Be honest. Have you ever thought something like that? That your circumstances maybe caught God by surprise? You know, the disciples are kind of funny. Throughout the Gospels, you might call them the disciples. And uh, when they were hit with this wave, I don't know who was in charge of the ship that day. I imagine Peter probably trying to take, you know, control. All hands on deck, everyone on deck. Everyone's kind of bailing out the boat and everything. And, and water's pouring over and salt water spray. And, and it's like, where's Jesus? You know, and the first mate goes, I'll check. You know, runs and comes back out. He's in the stern, sir. Well, what, what's he doing? He's sleeping, sir, on a cushion. <laughs> this is a great moment. <laughs> I mean, these are the scary moments that test our faith. Because this just rocked our world, but it doesn't seem to bother him. And some of you this fall are facing a scary situation in your life. And it actually has you wondering if God can be counted on to lead you through it. The truth is this. Whenever we are hit with a rogue wave, reality number two, we're given a choice between faith and fear. I want you to look at this. When Jesus does come up top on deck... Notice he's not rattled by the situation. When a rogue wave hits our lives, it may have surprised you, but here, this, is a, this might surprise you. God doesn't hit the panic button and be like, we need an emergency meeting of the Trinity right now. Get the Holy Spirit in here. Notice something. Why are they in this storm? Whose idea was it to go sailing on this lake? Look at verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Catch this. The trip was Jesus' idea. See, a lot of people think if I have a strong faith, then everything should go smoothly. Because if Jesus is in my boat, then God will keep me safe. But the truth is, just because you're a Christ follower doesn't mean you're exempt from the storms of life, does it? No, in fact, just the opposite. You may be in a situation this fall that you are desperate to get out of, but check this out, it is exactly where God wants you. The disciples were in the storm not because they were out of the will of God, but precisely because they were exactly in the will of God following after Jesus. Let's go to the other side, Jesus says. He wants to take some of you to the other side this year. 
and your boat is getting rocked right now, but mark this, you're actually in a storm by his appointment. And God's giving you a choice in how to respond, with fear or with faith. See, after Jesus calms the storm, he asks the disciples this piercing question that gets to the heart of the matter. Look at it in verse 40. It says, he said to the disciples, why are you so... What's the word? Everyone say it together. Afraid. Do you still have no... What's the word? Faith. If you're hit by a wave and you trust I'm in the boat... Now, I may be in the stern. The stern is, is kind of, if you, if you are not a boater person, that's like the, the back of the boat, the bottom. It's kind of like the basement, the hole down there. In other words, you may not see me right now, but you have a choice at this moment. You can respond to this wave with one of two things, Jesus says. You can respond with fear, or you can respond in faith. And I want you to choose. I want you to choose. How will you respond to the situation, Jesus says. I was talking with a couple of single friends uh, who would actually like to be married, and it was funny because they had totally different reactions. One of them said, you know what, Tim, it's really frustrating because honestly, the truth is this. I can say the truth, okay? I'm never getting married. Ain't any guys out there. I have always been alone, and I'm always going to be alone, and I'm going to end up like my crazy Aunt Sylvia. All right? That, that's, that's approaching singlehood kind of with a fear. And here's the thing. How do you define fear? What's the definition of fear in this case? Answer? Believing what hasn't happened will definitely come true. It's going to happen. The boat's getting swamped. The waves are crashing. We're going to down. I'm going to go going under. I, that's fear. Now think about it. What's the definition of faith? Same thing. Believing what hasn't happened will definitely come true. I'm getting swamped, but I know God's with me. And I can't see him right now over this giant wave because it blocks my view, but I know he's going to come through for me. He will. He will, because he's with me. He's in the stern. I don't see him, but I have faith. Isn't that interesting? Faith and fear actually share the exact same definition. In the wake of the worst crisis of their lives, Jesus asks his followers, why are you choosing fear? Do you still have no faith? In other words, I want you to choose. How will you respond? I talked to another single friend who was in the exact situation and um, it was very funny because they were like, you know what, I'm not dating right now, and honestly, I am getting a little frustrated at the lack of prospects. But even though I don't see someone on the horizon right now, I trust that God's going to bring along Mr. Right. The hard thing is I have to trust he's bringing them along in the right time. Same situation, but both are believing what hasn't happened yet will come true. Isn't that interesting? How faith and fear intersect, that there's a very thin line between them. But the truth is when we're hit with a huge intimidating crisis, it's very hard to get our bearings because we focus on the crisis in front of us instead of the Christ within. See, Jesus never promises his children that, 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 that they will somehow be exempt from disappointment, from suffering, or loss. In fact, in Luke 21, Jesus makes this promise. They will put some of you to death, and all men will hate you because of me. Now, have you ever seen that verse on a refrigerator magnet? not giving away bumper stickers on that one but it's a promise what's interesting though is that Jesus ends by saying but not a hair on your head will perish and you're like what? he just said some of us are going to die but not a hair on your head will perish so what's he talking about? the point is Jesus is saying you're not exempt from the physical storms of life but you have to understand there's something deeper that they can't touch in you 
The very hairs on your head are numbered. In other words, I, I know about the exact details, the infinite, minute details of your life. But I'm promising you something. My presence in the midst of the storm. I want you to think of it this way if you're taking notes. True faith is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ within it. See, whenever we're hit by the rogue wave, there are always two storms that rage. There is the one outside your boat, that's your health, that's your relationships, that's your job, your bills, whatever it is. And then there's the one inside your hold, inside the real vessel, you. The fear, the anxiety, the worry, the stress. And what happens is, when we're overcome with fear, all our prayers start getting directed on what's outside the boat, the external circumstances. So we pray like this. God, please, you have to come through. Save my business. Don't let it go down. God, heal so-and-so. You can't let that happen. Protect my kids. And that's fine. Because God invites us to ask him to work a miracle. And mark this, he actually has the power to do it. Talk about power encounter. Verse 39 says simply, Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves three words. Let's read them together. What? Quiet, be still. And the wind died down, and it was completely calm. This is the external miracle, and this is the one we all want desperately when a rogue wave hits us. But here's the thing. The story doesn't end here. Look at the next verse. It doesn't say, and so the wave stopped, and the disciples went, that was close. And they put on sunblock and went to the other side. (laughs) No. Jesus rebukes the wind and the waves first, but then he rebukes the disciples. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And do you know what their response is? This is hilarious. This is kind of a comedic moment in the Gospels. Even more fear. Look at verse 41. They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. In other words, they're like, if God has the power to change the wind and the waves, what will he do if he gets a hold of me? Is it possible that Jesus doesn't just hold, have the power to control the storms of nature, but the storms of human nature as well? What's going on in your heart? Is that possible? Is it possible you could trust God to show up in your life in the midst of the crisis and actually say, quiet, be still to the storm right here? This is what we are going to see over the next four weeks. Every time Jesus encounters someone, he is encouraging them that in the scariest moment of your life to actually let go and trust him, not just for outer deliverance, which is not promised, but for inner peace, which is. In John 14, 27, Jesus tells his followers, he says, Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you. And I don't give to you as the world gives. So don't let your what? Your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Inner peace. That's what God promises his children. Not the world's version of peace, which is the absence of conflict. That's the world's version of peace. But the presence of Christ who calms the storm inside. I'm curious. Since you have been hit with this rogue wave, what have your prayers focused on? Mainly the external storm. Change it, stop the waves. Or the storm inside. No, change my heart. See, what you focus on when you're praying actually reveals which way you're leaning. If you're leaning towards fear, which is simply take this away, calm it down, whatever it takes, or if it's faith, whatever it takes, you calm my spirit. Come in, Jesus. Change me. That's actually how the Bible teaches us to pray when a rogue wave comes along. 
In Philippians 4, we're told this. It says, don't be anxious about anything. Why? Because it's smooth sailing? No. In everything, by prayer, present your request to God in what? Let's read this together. The peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard what? Your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. According to the Bible, where's the real battle? Is it out there? No. It's right in here. And when our boat gets swamped, we can call on God and he will guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. That's the promise of peace in the midst of turmoil. Is that what you pray for when crisis hits? Because I'll be honest, I spent the early part of my years and my spiritual journey of faith mainly praying for just the miracles. God, heal so-and-so. God, give me this. God, we know you can do this. We're clean. And that's great. That is that it's confidence. You're trying out your voice. But the reality is, is Jesus says, I want to come to a deeper level in your heart. I want to take you, my friend, to a place of true faith. Because one prayer is simplistic. Just make it go away. The second is soulful. Make someone show up. And God can do both, folks. There is nothing wrong with praying for God to change your situation, but he's only promised to do one in this life. So the question is, have you been asking God, how do you respond to my rogue wave? I'm curious. If you've been following the 9-11 anniversary coverage, you may be familiar with the story of Todd Beamer. Um, His story is told in the book written by his wife, Lisa, entitled um, Let's Roll. And Todd was a passenger aboard United Flight 93. He's been called a hero for his actions on that September morning when a, a rogue wave hit Todd's life. His flight out of Newark Liberty Airport, he left here in New Jersey, was hijacked. He actually graduated a year ahead of uh, Colleen and I at Wheaton College. He lived in Cranberry, New Jersey, with his wife Lisa and three children. And the official account describes how in the moments after his flight was hijacked, the plane was just a scene of chaos, just panic, understandably so. Passengers were terrified. And in the uh, chaos, Todd actually tried to call his wife Lisa from the plane, but he couldn't get through. And so instead, they connected him with a GTE airphone operator. And in an interview, she described how she talked with Todd in the terrifying moments after the 9-11 hijacking. After 10 minutes had passed, the passengers began calling other people and they heard the scope of what was happening and, and started connecting the dots. That an earlier flight had, had hit a tower. That another one had hit a Pentagon. And that's when Todd realized more people would perish unless they did something. And so at that moment, he made a request of the operator. These are official transcripts. He asked if she would recite Psalm 23 with him. You know the words. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for what? You are with me. He was in the shadow of death at that moment. And his prayer was simple. Jesus, please be with me. No matter what happens next. And apparently as Todd just finished praying Psalm 23, the GTE operator, according again to the release transcript, replied back to Todd, I'm right here. I am not going anywhere. And I will ride this out with you. And I couldn't help but think those must have been like the words of Christ himself to Todd. Those must have been like the words of God. I'm right here. I am not going anywhere. And I will ride this out with you. Maybe that's what God wants to say to some of you this fall. Maybe you have not heard from God in a while, and maybe he's saying, I may not stop the storm instantly, but I want you to know I will ride this out with you. I am in the boat, even if you can't see me right now. And on September 11th, aboard Flight 93, Todd prayed, and God spoke to his heart 
Shh, quiet, be still. And upon hearing those words, Todd replied with two of his own. He said, let's roll. And began leading the passenger revolt straight down the aisle to the cockpit of the plane to wrestle it away from the hijackers where it eventually landed in a field in Pennsylvania before it could reach its target. After 10 minutes from that phone call, Todd met Jesus face to face. That's eight years ago. Eight years later, people still struggle to reconcile what happened on 9-11. Where was God that morning? Was he sleeping on a cushion and coach? On 9-11, God was not on a coffee break. He was on that plane, at work, in motion, in the lives of his children, protecting their hearts, protecting their minds, so that they could respond with extraordinary faith in the face of overwhelming fear. And he came through big time. He gave Todd a heart of peace in a situation that would leave most people paralyzed. And Todd Beamer prayed for the courage to ride it out. And in the midst of his storm, Jesus said, Shh, be still. I'll ride this down with you. And Todd answered, with faith, let's roll. That's what faith is, folks. It's trusting and knowing that God can calm the storm, even the one in me. Lisa is fond of saying of her husband that he was just an ordinary man put in an extraordinary situation and empowered by an extraordinary God. But listen to me, I don't, I don't know what storm you're facing or what rogue wave has hit your life or will hit your life this week or this fall. Hopefully none, but it's not promised. But this is God's word for you. True faith is not the absence of conflict, but the presence of Christ in the midst of your storm, whatever it is. I think the message paraphrase of Philippians 4 just nails it. Listen to these words. It's amazing. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, what? Pray. And let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. And before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. It's wonderful what happens when, catch this, what? Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. This is how God brings fear and faith together to work a true miracle. When a rogue wave hits, don't just say, change the wave. Pray, change my heart above all else. Whatever it takes, let's roll. You know, I still believe, honestly, that Jesus speaks those words to people today. Those three words, quiet, be still, and he calms the storm. And in fact, we're going to pray in a moment. And there are some of you, again, this, this season, that God is going to speak to your storm. He's going to say those words to your storm. He's heard your prayers, and he is going to work a miracle this fall. He's going to heal your body. He's going to restore your relationship. He's going to provide you with a better job than even the one that you had. But he's going to say to your storm, quiet, be still. That's some of you. And others of you, your storm will continue to rage on. And he will say to your heart, quiet, be still, and it will. And you know what? Both will be miracles. Both will be miracles. 
In fact, when all hell is breaking loose and, and you see someone who has a genuine peace, I think that might be even the more impressive one. My friend who just lost his job after 15 years, I was talking with him and it unnerved me a little because when he let me know, we went over to their house and I was talking with him and he was as cool and relaxed as I'd seen him in eight months and he wasn't faking it. He just goes, I feel so relieved. I was like, are you serious? He goes, the last eight, year, eight months have literally been hell at my work. He goes, and when I went in there, he goes, it was just like this thing flooded over me and I felt like I could finally be with my family, close that chapter. And Tim, I believe honestly that God is just about to turn over a new page in my story. He's turning over a new page. And he said this without any betraying any sort of like, he's just posturing kind of thing. And it was weird. It unnerved me a little bit. I was like, dude, I'd be freaking out a little bit more. <laughs> God's going to do one of two things for your storm this fall. He's either going to change your wave or he's going to change your heart. And with, if that's going to happen, you need Jesus in your boat. Why trust Jesus in the, in the middle of the storm? The answer is actually very simple. Because compared to our rogue waves, Jesus was hit broadside with the ultimate. On the cross, Jesus was able to answer forever, definitively, what is God's heart towards me? Does he really care enough Will he really save the day? The cross of Christ is where all of our fears are met with faith and they intersect for good. The cross is literally God's 9-11. And he answered the question, could you really trust a God who allows his own son to die? I mean, on Good Friday, can any good come out of utter disaster? It was a rogue way for the disciples. They didn't see it coming. But through the cross, Jesus was teaching them because they got to see his character. They saw him sleeping in a rocking boat and they saw him sweating blood in the garden. They saw him pick up his cross and actually pray, not my will, Father, but yours be done because I trust you completely with everything that happens. Even this. And then they watched him die. And three days later, they watched him walk out of an empty tomb and say, let's roll. Peace be with you. Those were his words. Come follow me. Let me live in your heart and know this. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you, no matter what happens. I will ride this out with you. If you give me your faith, I will give you my peace. That's what the cross is. It believes in the power of Jesus to actually redeem the worst suffering, and you're now willing to walk through anything God asks of you, because even if you don't see it or understand it all, you know with a shadow of a doubt, God is with me, both in this life and eternity. The disciples were changed because of this cross. Not only did it allow them the courage to, to, to face their greatest fears, but many of them actually did surrender their life to death to show faith in the one who gave everything for them. At the cross of Jesus is where all fears intersect with faith. So it's a choice. And the question is, do you choose fear or will you choose faith? Both believe that wasn't ha what hasn't happened yet will come true. I don't know what storm you're facing, but you have a choice today. U2's anthem begins with a lyric of fear. I want to run. I want to hide. But it ends with these words. And when I go there, I go there with you. I go there with you. That is God's personal promise to you this fall. I have no idea. I have no idea where your wave will take you. And you may not know. But wherever you go, Jesus says, I go there with you. Therefore, no fear. Take heart. Let's roll.
Amen? Believe that? Let's pray together. Let's bow our heads, all our campuses. Um, my guess, just even just looking at some of the faces, uh, this has touched a nerve with some of you, and maybe there are some of you right now thinking, you know what, that is me, because I'm in the middle of a tough spot and the storm is raging big time, and I, I just want to ask if I can pray for you now. If you'd like that, you're like, Tim, please, there's something big in my life, it's intimidating, would you pray for me? I, I just need prayer in the middle of my storm. Just shoot your hand up, shoot it up so I can see you. I'm going to pray for you, absolutely, oh, hand, okay, hands all over the place. Let me pray right now for you. God, we just humbly come before you, Jesus. We believe, Lord, that, that you are our Father, and Jesus, you are here with us as your family. Lord, we're the body of Christ. So God, even today, would you just help us care for one another in the midst of, uh, of what's facing many people here? Lord, just love, help us to love those around us before we even leave our, our campus today. But God, right now, by the power of your Holy Spirit, I, I pray for miracles this fall. Because we know that God, you're the God who's able, that you're willing. And God, I ask you ahead of time for the lives of the people represented here, you're going to do some miraculous things. And God, when you do, we just want to tell you, we're going to be faithful to tell others about it and tell them it was you and we're going to worship you and give you the honor because you save us for our benefit and for your glory. So God, right now, speak to the storms in this room, the people who raise their hands even now. But God, I pray even more than just the outward miracles where we can see the waves calmed. I pray also for the inward storms, God. I pray that you will bring peace to the outer storms and you'll bring peace Lord, to the storms inside people's hearts today, a peace that goes beyond all human understanding that guards our hearts, our souls, our minds in Christ Jesus. So change our hearts, Father. Surrender them to you, Father. Make them soft, joyful in affliction, and just reliant on you. We trust you because of Jesus, Father. We do. Thank you for showing us your heart through his death on a cross for our sins. We ask for his life to fill our hearts right now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Let's all agree together. Amen.